Oh, it's great to be together. Go ahead and be seated. I'm Joe Collins. Welcome to See Me Church. Our mission is to love God and people. And we are glad that you're with us today. Last week, we talked about redemption. Today, we're going to do something totally different. It's going to have a little bit of a workshop-y type feel. We're going to be talking about something called the oikos principle. You may have heard this word occasionally. It is not the Greek yogurt. We're not talking about that today. But it is a concept that I think will revolutionize our fellowship and, God willing, our world. So we started Simi Church in 2015, and after some fits and starts, we eventually established ourselves as a small but faithful fellowship out here in Simi Valley. The following year, our sister church in uh, Oxnard, it was called Shore, it's called Shoreline, uh, Oxnard, Camarillo, Thousand Oaks, Moore Park area, went through some challenges, and we decided to partner and to merge our two churches. And, and there were some changes and things that we needed to go through there, but eventually we sort of reorganized in, in a way that I think really better serves the communities that we're a part of. Then in 2017, the next year, it really became apparent to me, and maybe to many of you, that we needed something more. We needed some sort of a vision, some sort of mission, some sort of focus for our ministry. And I really believe God led us to what we call mission love, our mission to love God and people. I believe that because it was a lot of prayer and it was a lot of soul searching. And there was a lot going on in, internally in me trying to figure out what is it that feels like it's missing. And then as this idea began to percolate and come up in my, in my heart and in my mind, I began to talk to people about it. And literally to a person, they said, yes, that's it. That feels right. That seems right. I remember one talk with one friend and I was telling her about this idea. And before I could get the words out of my mouth, before I could say, yeah, I really think we really got to zero and rally around this, this idea of mission, she went, love? And I knew that this has got to be of God. Because it wasn't just me, it was coming from more than one place. It felt right. It's been amazing to see our church transform into a church that's focused on loving God and people. You know, when we first started Simi Church, it was with a small group of people from the San Fernando Valley. We were part of a larger church over there, a great church, the Valley Church. They're, they're doing awesome. But, you know, we had people that lived out in this area. And so the idea was, hey, let's get something started. And so we began those talks. And I'm going to be frank. If you're visiting, this is just inside church talk. But this group out here, when, when, when uh, we, we started those talks, wasn't necessarily known for its love. It was known for being amazing, good people. And there's a lot of love. Don't get me wrong. But it wasn't really a common description of the, of the fellowship. But I really believe because God was moving in all of our hearts, I hear it more, more and more every day. I mean, each week or every so often I talk to someone and I hear it over and over. Man, this is such a loving group. This is such a loving group. And that's, that's really a testimony to your faith, to your love for God, your love for people. And I think it's also really a, a it's us coming together and, and it's what gave birth to the idea of mission love. But you know, it, it started to feel like something was missing within that, that there, there needed to be more definition, maybe some more clarity, maybe some more focus. 
Not so much the loving God part, because I, I think that's very personal. And, and yes, we do need to talk about that from time to time. But I, I believe wholeheartedly that this is a group of people that love God. We're not perfect. None of us can be like Anthony and lead worship and be awesome. He is angelic. He really is. Do what he does. And, you know, but if you're like me, we're just barely getting by and struggling to get in there. And, but I really do believe we love God. But, but it seemed like the loving people part needed, needed something. So last year, my wife went to a conference. It was just a general Christian conference. It was a place where you go and you hear people speak and there's people advertising their, their book or, or their latest curriculum. And we would get things for kids, our kids classes and stuff like that. It's kind of a big couple week, a uh, couple day weekend type thing and people from all over come. And she heard a guy speak there and she came home to me and she said, you have to hear this guy. He has really zeroed in on what it is that we have been feeling like is missing. And what we realized after listening to him, and so we've had a chance to, to hear him and meet with him even and just learn from him, what we really realized is what we were missing is a strategy, a plan, a way to implement our mission to love people. His name's Tom Mercer. He's the minister of a church in Victorville, High Desert Christian Church. And for the past 30 years, he has just ministered quietly up in that corner of Southern California. He started with a fellowship of less than 200 people, and today they're a fellowship of over 12,000 in a city of 300,000. And in talking to him and hearing from him and getting to know him, I realized what became very, very clear is that they have a focus. They're laser focused on what the mission of the church is really all about. And he calls it the Oikos Principle. Now, we are Simi Church. We're not becoming a campus of Tom Mercer's church. <laughs> we're a part of the Church of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, we're part of his great family, and we're connected with the LA, uh, with the, the Valley Church and the LA International Church of Christ, and on, on, and that's all staying. But you know, we've all learned over these years that it's good to learn from other people. And this is someone that I've taken the time to really learn from. Because I don't want to just be see me church. I want see me church to change see me valley. And I think many of you feel the same way that we want this church or our connection to other people to be world changing. And so in getting to know Tom and, and learning from him, he's really given me so many insights. And he has a program that he's offered to churches. It's some videos. It's opportunity for discussion. And he really helps us zero our thoughts in to what is our purpose and what should we really be about. So I want to share with you their short video, a little, little intro video of what, of what he's talking about. And then we're going to get into our, our lesson. Amen? Here's Tom. So you can see why I appreciate uh, Tom and what he's been doing. You know, he'll tell you uh, that 
his focus, this idea, this principle did not, was not something he invented. He actually went to a conference and heard someone else talk about it 30 some years ago. And that's because it's not foreign to the, to the Christian world. The idea that we as the church, that our mission is to go into the world and then be the church to the world around us is not a foreign concept. When I studied the Bible as a young man, and many of you, when you studied the Bible, you were probably taught that very idea, that, that your purpose is to get out there and spread the, the name of Jesus to the people you're around. But what I love about what he's drawn out of that is, is the focus, the, the laser focus on who to focus on. Where, where should we start? So with that being said, I want to say a prayer, and then we're going to dive into God's Word. Father, thank you so very much for this wonderful group of believers, and I pray for your spirit to be with us and help us now to see what you want us to see in your scriptures. Speak to our hearts, motivate us, inspire us, help us to be the believers that you want us to be, that we want to be deep down inside, and God, help us to change not just our lives, but the lives of the people we know, our world. God, we know if that is the case, then then many worlds will get changed, and eventually world change can occur. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to look now at two scriptures. John, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 1, 14 and 15. They're on the screen. And Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. And by the way, the notes that I handed out, sorry I didn't mention this, those are for you to follow along with the video. They're not my notes. But uh, we're going to see one more short video at the end of my message. So you keep the notes there and you can, you can kind of follow along. And then they're for yours to keep to... To, uh, to think about and, and meditate on. But what we see here in Mark chapter 1 and, and, and Mark chapter 16 is the beginning and the end of Jesus' ministry. In verse 14 of chapter 1, it says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Then at the end of his ministry, chapter 16, verse 15, he said to them, go into all the world and reach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. From the very beginning of Jesus's earthly ministry to the very end of Jesus's earthly ministry, he was focused on one primary objective. That was to help people repent and believe. With everything that went on in the three and a half or so years that he uh, publicly ministered, all the highs, the miracles, the feeding of 5,000, the feeding of 4,000, the raising people from the dead, the walking on the water, the incredible teaching to the lows to the opposition, to the attacks, to the death of John the Baptist, to his own martyrdom in Jerusalem, Jesus never lost sight of his primary objective. He was laser-focused on what his mission was. You know, there's a lot of debate in the Christian world. As a minister, I hear these debates. There's books, there's people that you listen to, podcasts, whatever. And the debate seems to center around what is the purpose of the church. As a matter of fact, if I was to ask you, you'd probably probably have 10 different answers in this room alone. What is the purpose? Is it to worship God? Is it for fellowship? Is it for teaching? Is it for correcting or something else? All of those things are very 
important. I love our worship service here at Simi Church. I wish more people could see and experience the worship service here. The lowering of the lights to take out any insecurities, the, the focus on prayer that we're elevating this year, the opportunity in every worship just to spend some time in prayer, the focus on communion, the songs that we sing, even how our performers perform and they don't draw attention to themselves, but they draw attention to God. It's not uncommon for me to be in tears during our worship. It's an incredible time, and it's uplifting to my soul, and it is so important. I I couldn't live without it, I think, sometimes. But is that the most important thing? Is that why we're here? You know, uh, the fellowship. I I, I hate saying things like this because God always has a way to kind of make you really count the cost when you say something like this. But I can honestly say that the past four years have been some of the best of my entire Christian life. Being a part of the Simi Church and helping out with Shoreline has been one of the best experiences. It has been liberating. It has been joyful. It's had its ups and downs. But man, I I am as happy as I have ever been. It feels like we have... uh, We're in this together. We're doing something together. I don't know who did that ding, but that was perfect timing. (laughs) But it just feels like we're doing something special and we're doing it together. And and I couldn't imagine doing this without every one of you. My wife and I try to get around to everybody pretty consistently. and, And man, just knowing you and having you in our life has been an incredible blessing. And coming to church is joyful to me. I love seeing my friends. I love seeing new people come in. I I just love the experience. But is that our main purpose? I hope that you have been edified by the teaching. I try my best. Believe me, there are better preachers out there. There are better Bible, um, there's really good Bible scholars out there. I listen to, to them and try to pass on what I learned to you. But I really hope that I and delivering something that that edifies, that encourages, that helps you in your day-to-day walk when we get into God's Word and we study it. But is that the purpose of the church? I appreciate that we have a commitment unlike I experienced in other churches coming up. A commitment to taking God at His Word, to living our lives righteously, to holding each other accountable, not always negatively, but sometimes help each other, you know, hopefully most of the time, positively trying to help each other get further down the road of faith and and that importance for that correction and that accountability. But is that the purpose of the church? I don't think so. I think the purpose of the church is to help other people Repent and believe in Jesus. And all those other things are important, and there's other ten other things I could mention that are important. But the one thing that has to maintain primary importance, the one objective, the mission, if you want to use that word, that we have is to love people into the kingdom of God. That's how Jesus lived his life from beginning to end of his public ministry. That's what it was all about. He even died and came back to life and was still preaching. 
to love people into the kingdom of God. I mean, he came back from the dead to tell us. And you know, that is the best reason of all for me. Because when someone puts their faith in Jesus, especially when it's someone I know and love, there's not a better feeling that you can have. Before I became a minister 20-something years ago, I used to work in social work. And I would always hear this phrase, oh, that must be so rewarding. Oh, that's so awesome of you. You know, how rewarding. And it is. Listen, all jobs are rewarding, whether it's social work or whether you're making lots of money, that's rewarding too. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. But there's nothing quite as rewarding as helping somebody change their eternal address. So the question is, what's the best way to lead people to repentance and belief in Jesus Christ? Is it bigger and better church? Believe me, I'd love to have bigger and better church. But is that the best way? Is it bigger and better marketing budgets? Is it more musical instruments and more pedals for Anthony to make great noise and sounds with? Is it better ministers or more ministers? Is it political action, social protest? You know, the Christian church has tried all of those things in the past hundred years. Our family of churches have tried many of those things in the past 30 years. And we don't have a whole lot to show for it. I believe, and it became unbelievably clear to me that the way to help people repent and to believe in Jesus, the best way for that to be done is the way Jesus did it some 2,000 years ago. And in his lifetime, it had a very small impact. At the end of his life, there was only about 150 people who were claiming allegiance to him. But shortly after that, it literally exploded and has continued to explode throughout human history to the point that far and away, no no other religion comes even close to the impact and the spread of Christianity throughout the history, throughout history and throughout the ages. The Oikos principle, the idea that each of us has a mission field of people in our life. No, it's not some faraway land. It's, it's right here, right in front of you. So we're going to have a little fun. But the answer to the question, what's the best way? The answer is... You. That is the extent of my technology. 
That took a half an hour to figure out. I'm up there with Jerry Wells, who we showed last time with his old school beep and changed the, the video. But there it is. The answer is you and me. We are the best hope for the world around us. There's no one better than you. Let me explain. Mark chapter 1, verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Jesus, when he started his ministry, left his hometown of Nazareth, which was in Galilee in the north part of Palestine. He traveled down not to Jerusalem, not into uh, Judea, where the city of Jerusalem was and the temple was. Before he got there, he hung a hard left and went into the area of Perea to where John the Baptist was. In those days, it wasn't uncommon for someone to become a rabbi. That was, you know, people got called. They had a calling. They went into the, to the ministry and they would become a rabbi. And the traditional method was to go down to Jerusalem or to the local synagogue, make friends with the, the other rabbis there, get sort of connected into that um, uh, uh, arena of people. In particular, you'd go down to the temple, you'd get anointed, you'd get sort of vetted out, and then you'd go and leave with some sort of blessing, and there you were, you were a rabbi, and the next order of business was to go and start gathering some followers. And if you were good at what you did, you had a lot of followers. If you were bad at what you did, maybe not so much. Jesus, when he became, when he made the decision and he got the call to become a rabbi, to go public, he didn't go to Jerusalem. He left Nazareth, went south and turned left and went to John the Baptist, not the temple, which, by the way, is why the temple authorities were always upset with him, because he didn't go to their system. He went to a different system, John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was, as you know, the E.F. Hutton of his day. When he spoke, people listened. But even John the Baptist was outside of the auspices of the temple and of mainstream Judaism. He was a bit of a radical. And even the, the leadership, the religious leadership had a little bit of a, I don't know about John. They weren't so positive on John. But the people by the thousands would come to hear John because he was widely regarded as a living prophet in their day. That's where Jesus goes to get anointed to get blessed, and to be called into the ministry to become a rabbi. He spends some time with John down there in Perea as people were coming and going and getting baptized by John there in the Jordan. This is hard for us to, to track, but you know, in those days, when you went to go visit someone, it wasn't two hours. You generally ended up staying a while. When I was growing up, uh, I heard this comedian tell a whole bit on this, and it's hilarious. But, but it was great because he reminded me of growing up. And some of you might remember this. But we always had uh, the, 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 the feeling that someone might show up at any moment, knock on your door, and you'd have to be prepared for that. Come on in. We have some food. Sometimes you'd even have special food that you couldn't eat because it was sort of set aside in case somebody came over. And, and if they knocked on the door, we didn't run and hide. We actually went and answered the door. And we said, oh, hey, come on in. And you'd sit and visit for a while. That was actually normal when I was a little kid. 
It's not like, it's not like it is today where someone knocks on the door and you duck for cover and what's going on and it's, you know, or, or, or if we visit anybody, it's, it's half an hour to an hour at most and then we gotta go. It was different. And even before me, it was even more different. Back in Jesus' day, you hung out for weeks <laughs> or longer. And so when Jesus went down to John the Baptist, it wasn't a two-hour drive and then two hours there, and then, oh, we got to get back. He was there for weeks. And so were some of these other people in the, the various neighborhoods and communities that would come down in between harvest. They'd get some time. They'd go down there. They'd spend time. During that time, Jesus made connections with Simon and Andrew, with James and John, who, by the way, were probably also cousins of Jesus, those two and a few other guys. In fact, they saw John baptize Jesus, and John said, hey, that's the Messiah, you should follow him. And many of those guys said, oh, we're going to start following Jesus. So they would hang out with Jesus. And Jesus eventually left John the Baptist, went into Jerusalem for a time, celebrated the holidays, made his way back up into Galilee, stopped at Cana, which is in, in Nazareth, and, and went to a wedding. He turned water into wine. And somewhere in that process, the disciples, the guys that were hanging out with him, had to get back home. They were fishermen. They had to get back to work. They went back to Capernaum. Jesus probably hung out in Nazareth for a while. And then he decided it was time to go get some followers. And the first place he went was to Capernaum. Why? Because that's where Simon, Andrew, James, and John were. We read this passage, and in our 20th century view, it looks really random. It's like Jesus just walked down the street, saw some guys, hey, come follow me, and they jumped in, and we go, these people are weird. Because only weirdos do that. Like, who would do that? Only unstable people would be like, sure, I'll follow you and go jump on board with someone you don't know. That's not the norm. Good point. Jesus went to Capernaum to find Simon, Andrew, James, and John. He knew where they lived. He knew who they were. And he went there for a reason. To call them, to make them official followers of his. That's why they left the boat. Because they were kind of hoping, they kind of understood they were some draft picks out there. They were kind of hoping that he, you know, he wasn't the Cleveland Browns, that he was the Dallas Cowboys. Anthony there, I said it for you. They were hoping to go with a good team. Listen, I've been picking on Anthony. I have to encourage him with the Dallas Cowboy thing. Let it be that. But they wanted to be in Jesus' club because they knew Jesus. When he called his first followers, he started with people he knew. Matthew chapter 4, different book, but actually same part of the timeline. After he called his followers, Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Shortly after Jesus gathered his initial disciples, his first few, they found themselves on the mission field. 
And they were spreading the message of repentance and the kingdom of God to people. And miracles were happening and people were following. But I want you to notice a very important word in this passage. Jesus went through Galilee teaching in their synagogues. Jesus called his first disciples because they were people he knew. And then he went to the people they knew and began preaching the message to them. He expanded the ring out from his group of people, his household of people, his oikos, and he went into their oikoses, to their synagogues, where they were known entities. They were not unfamiliar people. And that was the next step. That was the next evolution of his missionary work. There there was a relational connection here between Jesus, his first followers, the first followers, and their synagogues. And so the mission field was not in Zimbabwe, although we need a mission field in Zimbabwe. And it was not in Papua New Guinea, although that's a great mission field. I'm not putting anything down. The mission field was where they were and their relational connections to one another. And it was this expanded relational world that Jesus took his message to. That was the next step. Let me ask you a question. Do you see a similarity between how Jesus went and found his first followers and how he took his first followers and took them to their world? You see, there's kind of a similarity here. There's sort of a pattern developing. It started here with this group and then it expanded to that group. And there was a relational component. There was a connection. After starting with the people he knew, Jesus took his message to the people they knew. The best way to help people repent and to believe in Jesus is other believers. That's just how it works. I'm half Sicilian. It's, I know a guy. That's, that's, the, that's the Jesus plan. Hey, I know a guy. I have a question for you. Who introduced you to the faith? Joe said a friend. Honey? Your mom? Your stepsister, your sister, my neighbor, my friend, classmate, your grandmother. Do you see a pattern? For me, the seeds of faith began in my house. My family, I wouldn't say was religious, but we believed in God. There was a definite understanding that we believed in God, the God of the Bible. And my grandmother was somewhat religious. I can't say she was super religious. She was. I was young when I knew my grandmother, so maybe as she was older, it kind of dwindled because of age and inability. But, but she definitely put the seeds of faith in me. And then those seeds were, were watered and, and, and added to by a school I went to, a religious school, and I got to know teachers and had rapport and then got to learn the Bible. And then from there, it was friends. And then by the time I became an adult and I was finally asked to come out to church and really consider God for the real first time in my life, there was a long history of familiarity. 
And so it made that leap, it made that step much shorter. Imagine taking someone out of a completely different culture with a completely different religious environment and trying to just plug them into the Christian faith without any rapport, relationship, or prior knowledge. It is very difficult and has very little success because it's not natural. It doesn't follow relational patterns. No one repents and comes to faith in a vacuum. It just doesn't happen. Someone introduces everyone. You might say, oh, no, no, I was mad. I was, uh, you know, just minding my own business, hanging out in front of Rite Aid, and somebody invited me to church. Okay, but did you get baptized in front of Rite Aid? No. A lot of things happen between the time you got invited and the time you made a decision to be a believer. And generally speaking, even if it was a complete stranger, there was a relationship that was developed between you and that person. Let alone the fact that you live in an environment where Christianity is not foreign, although it is becoming more foreign in our day. That's the way Jesus spread his message, and that is the fundamental basis of what Tom calls the oikos principle. He didn't patent it. He didn't even come up with it. It goes all the way back to Jesus Christ. Let's talk about it for a minute. The word oikos. It's the Greek word for household or house. It's used over 100 times in the New Testament. Sometimes it's referring to a building. Other times it's referring to a people. When it refers to people in the ancient time, it generally refers to an extended group of people. It's not just your mom and dad and kids. It's your mom, dad, kids, cousins, household servants, and so on. In our modern lingo, we would translate it better in the idea of it's a relational world. We all have a relational world of people that we interact with on a regular basis. And it was out of that group that Jesus called his first disciples, and then it was to their oikos that he started his missionary work. So the best way to change our world for Christ, to love people, you know, to, to bring people to Christ, to repentance and belief in Jesus Christ is not bigger and better churches. It's not bigger and better marketing budgets. It's not bigger and better ministry staffs or political action. It's you and me telling the people we know about Jesus. Sounds simple. It's not easy. It requires focus. When I was in high school, I was an above average student. When I went to college, I was a below average student. I went to grad school and graduated top of my class. The difference was, in grad school, you focus on one subject. In high school and undergrad, it's a big you know, hodgepodge of various things. And it was just hard for me to be able to do any one of those things very well. But once I zeroed in on a topic, I really took off. I believe as a church, we need focus right now. I'm going to share one more short video from Tom, and then we'll wrap things up. Oh, 
So over the next couple of months, we're going to dig, dive deep into this idea, the whole Oikos principle. We're going to talk about it on Sunday. We're going to talk about it in a family group. All the family group leaders, we've already had a, our, our overnight, uh, our getaway with all the group leaders. We've talked about it. They've seen the videos. We even did the uh, same page, and everybody clapped and said, same page. To a person, they're, they're invested in this idea. They want to go down this road. Like Tom said, this is not the next thing. It's the only thing. Now, to get us started, I want to hand out something to you. So I have my guys here. They're going to hand out a card to you. It's something that I have found incredibly helpful in my life for the past year. By the way, the ministry staff, the Garces and Lynette and I, have been doing this for almost a year now. We've been really wanting to make this who we are before we rolled it out as the next thing to do, and then it lasts for a while and dies out. So we've been doing this for about a year already. We've been talking about it off and on. We've been creating the shelf space in everybody's mind for it. And I hope you appreciate that we've been very careful and very methodical with how we've gone about creating this paradigm in our fellowship. For those of you that have been in our fellowship, like, like me for many years, it's not all that unfamiliar to you. Early on, in my early days, it seemed like we were very laser-focused on our mission at hand, and I remember those were some of the most joyful and fun days of my life, but then it seemed like so many other things have gotten important that nothing became important, and we sort of lost our way. Well, this, to me, is just a, a, a calling back. But maybe, maybe it's more than that, because maybe it's a little more focused than what we did in the old days. We call these our mission love cards. Dana Teal designed them. They're awesome. She sent it to me, and I said, I love the world heart. That is awesome. And uh, the idea of this card is for you to use as a tool. I'm not collecting them. They're for you. But they're for you to write down somewhere between 8 to 15 people, people who you believe are in your relational world. More than that, they're people who you believe God has strategically and supernaturally placed in your life. They're there on purpose. Write them down and begin praying for them. That's the first thing. We'll get into the rest in future sermons. But right now, the idea is to just think about who they are. Take a whole week. I, it took me two weeks to figure out who these people were, and I changed it several times, and I still from time to time go, oh, maybe it's not that, it's this person, but I kind of have a core now of people that are on my list. There's a little, a uh, couple of categories here. You don't need to use the categories, but they're helpful. I found them helpful to me. The first category, pre-Christian, that's someone who is sort of actively in, the, in, in, in works to becoming a Christian. My youngest daughter is on my pre-Christian list, don't tell her, but she's on there. Pray for every day. The odd thing is, the sad thing is, is when I first sat down, I had my first list. I didn't even have her name on there because I had that the mission field is somewhere else mindset. And then I realized, wait a second, she's in my mission field. She went first on my list. It's amazing. But in the year ago when I started praying for that, she has started to study the Bible. Character studies, she's young, but she's getting interested. I can honestly tell you for the 8 to 15 people I put down on here, I've been praying for them just about every day. And I can honestly tell you that in every case, God has begun to move the needle in every one of those cases. And that's just 
with the prayer. So pre-Christians, people who are sort of right there, that you're sort of actively helping become Christians. You're actively helping them repent and believe in Jesus. Then there's prodigals. You in church any length of time, you know what a prodigal is, someone who's left the faith. We all know someone who's left the faith. And, and maybe you're still in touch with them, or maybe you should still be in touch with them. That's a good person. You got, got a few of those you can put down and begin praying for. Then there's purposefuls. I like this one because these are people who are believers, but I need them to stay believers. We all have people in our life that if they don't stay faithful, it will dramatically affect our faith. My wife is first on this list. I need Lynette to be faithful. You have a group of people in your life, important relationships who are believers that you need be praying for them. Imagine just that alone, because many of those relationships are in this room. Imagine just the benefit we would get that we're just praying for each other more or consistently. And then there's potentials. These are the people who you might meet at a bus stop, who you might bump into, and maybe there's a little bit of a reciprocation. There was a connection made, and maybe it's going to evolve into something, and eventually they can go on the pre-Christian list. But these are people that are just kind of out there, put them down. My wife and I went to lunch yesterday, and we bumped into two people at the lunch place. We didn't even start the conversation. We were just there talking to the owner, and then he asked us what I do. I said, I'm a minister, and then he outs the guy sitting next to him. Oh, he's a Christian, which gave me an inroad to talk to that guy, exchange some information. And then the owner came out and sat with us and said, oh, by the way, I'm a Christian too, and I want to know about your church. I don't know where that's going to go, but I pray for him. We'll see where that goes. The point is, we have to focus on who God has strategically and supernaturally placed in our lives. And I believe that focus will radically change the world of people we interact with. I believe with that kind of focus and with, with the prayer and, and, and the, pray, the, the, the prayer with God behind it, we will all start to see an impact on the world of people we each interact with. And imagine for a minute, if all of us have 10 people, there's something like 90 adults in Simi Church. If we all have 10 people, that's 900 people. In other words, we're a church of 900. 800 of them don't know it yet. <laughs> I believe that reality to be true. And I'm asking you to join me in that belief. I got to tell you, in closing, having done this has been one of the greatest things I've done in the last year of my life, just having a focus of people to pray for. And it, what it's done is it's caused me to pray more and more. It's led us to in, in, infusing prayer into our worship service. I now have lists of people I'm praying for beyond my oikos, people who need jobs, people who need health things. And, and it's just been great to see different things happen. One of my favorite things to do is whenever I pray for someone because they, they're in need of a job and they tell me, oh, I got the job. They don't even know I'm praying for them. I say to myself, oh, good, I can stop praying for you. <laughs> and that's Okay. Because God worked in their life and they got what they needed. We're going to close out now. Let's stand. Let's go arm in arm. And I really want to put this on you. Take the next week. Think about it. Pray about it. Put some names down. And we'll continue our, our, our lesson on it next week.
In family groups, we're going to be diving deeper into this. As I said before, you're going to see more videos. you got more uh, discussion to have. I really want to call us to embrace this idea and see our world change for Jesus Christ. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you so very much for this incredible fellowship. Thank you for bringing us together.